Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 2 of the Overthrows podcast and uh, as you might know from previous week we've split up uncovered into uncovered and overthrows overthrows will be all the on cricket stuff I'm Bairam Kazi who you can find at Def Mango and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find everywhere and lots to talk about uh, on the field today let's start with India versus England and uh, India have leveled the five match series 1-1 in Vizag they won the test on day 4 by 106 runs and while there were many standout performances which we will discuss in you know entirety and thoroughly mm. let's let's start with Jaspreet Bumrah right nine wickets in the game uh, player of the match including a six wicket haul in the first innings he bowled exceptionally well in well in hyderabad and it seemed like he couldn't top that in asian mm. conditions and then he produced this sort of you know performance in vizag uh, somehow top that and jared shayan our colleague he informed us that uh, ever since he's returned from his injury jaspreet bumrah has bagged 59 wickets across all three formats in uh, well i don't know the number of games but basically at an average of less than 16 and that includes four test matches where he has taken 26 wickets at uh, less than 12 apiece 11.66 if i'm not wrong How does he do? How 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 does he possibly do it? Do you know what? So his bowling average at the moment, I think, is slightly less than Malcolm Marshall. And mm-hmm. if you go back, and you know, many people thought Malcolm Marshall was the best bowler of all time. I, th- I think that's very very fair. Um, uh, you know, if you compare him to the other greats of his era, he was just a lot more rounded. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that he had a better outswinger than Hadley or Lily. It's just that he also could swing it the other way, and he could seam it. Um, and he basically mastered all the skills of fast bowling that were available at that stage, right? Mm-hmm. You would have to say that Jasper Bumrah is the same, right? So there are things that Rabada does that are more interesting. Uh, you know, that sort of the general, you know, the the havoc that he he can create from a ball to ball. But he's not accurate like Bumrah, right? And yeah. you know, he's not miserly like Bumrah. And Cummins is an incredibly skillful. I would say Cummins is still the most accurate seam bowler. Um, of that pace I've seen. I think he's even marginally more accurate than Bumrah. But Bumrah has about seven extra skills that Cummins doesn't have, right? You know, just um, like, for instance, you know, Bumrah now has the ability to, um, uh, sorry, uh, Cummins now has the ability to bowl the uh, bobble ball and swing it, right? Mm. And it's very hard to do both, right? You, you know, it, most bowlers generally when they go to the bobble ball give up on swing. It's taken them a while. Whereas Bumrah has been able to do both for quite some time. Right, and and, you and he reverses him. it. He well, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and again, Cummins can reverse it, but he's not as good as reversing a, a, as Bumrah. Right, um, he's Cummins has a good wrist position for uh, the wobble ball, but his normal wrist position uh, is is perfectly adequate for a 90 mile an hour bowl. Like, I mean, perfectly adequate underselling it. It's great for a 90 mile an hour bowler, mm-hmm. whereas Bumrah's would be great if you're bowling at 75 miles an hour. Right, like every little skill that he has, the only thing he doesn't have is height. But because of his action, he gets a little bit more bounce than probably someone his height should. Um, he can bowl in Asian conditions. He can bowl yeah. in center conditions. He can bowl with the white ball when it's brand new. He can bowl with the white ball when it's uh, old. Uh, you know, th- there's no. What's a point in the game? In what's a form of cricket that we currently have where it wouldn't be? A well above average result, giving him the ball, right? Yeah. Like he does absolutely everything. And you know, we the big thing early on was his record's great, and obviously he's a fantastic bowler. How will that translate to India? Well, or to home, I should say, in Asia in mm-hmm. general, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how will that translate? Well, 
taking nine wickets against a team that knows has faced a lot of seam bowling before in Asia is incredible. And the wicket was quite – I thought the wicket helped him and Anderson at times. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, like Anderson bowled brilliantly. And at no stage did I sit there and go, oh, Anderson should take nine in this game. <laughs> I thought <laughs> Anderson should end up with five or six and be really handy and keep the run rate down and everything else. Whereas looking back on it, like Boomer could have taken more wickets. <laughs> mm. Literally, like it, it was an amazing, amazing um, display of fast bowling. And uh, I mean, he is now the second fastest Asian bowler to 150 wickets. Only Wakar Yunus is ahead of him. And there are a lot of big names that he has basically eclipsed over here. And exactly. He might be one of the best ever, probably a case for the best ever seam bowler to have come out of Asia. And again, like there's some Pakistani greats in there. The Wakars, Wasims, Imrans. So that's quite a compliment. And Well, the Wakar won- thing, let's just, hmm. just, just stop on the Wakar because... There is, there's an argument that I think Wackar was a single usage bowler hmm. in that he was basically incredibly fast with swing, right? It's not to say that he wasn't good in English conditions, right? Uh, but he couldn't, he didn't really get bounced because he bowled at quite low arm. He wasn't particularly accurate with where, where the ball went down because if you bowl that, yeah. he was that much quicker than everyone else. He didn't need to be and all those sorts of things, right? And at a time when reverse swing really was only just getting perfected and he was probably a yard quicker than everyone else in world cricket, mm. he bowled absolutely brilliant. But it's a bit like, I'm trying to think of someone else who's been like, maybe it's a little bit like Malinga um, or Alan Davidson is maybe another good example of just the right bowler at the right time and end up with a great record because they have all mm. those skills. Whereas that's why... Um, and, and so, and he does, and he was absolutely brilliant. And if you saw peak Wakar, it was, you could see why Pakistan played him for another 10 years when he could barely bowl, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it made, like the dream of Wakar was hard to give up on. But you look at him compared to Boomer and you're just like, well, he, Boomer's got like seven or eight extra things that he could give you in a, mm-hmm. in a game that Wakar just didn't have, right? Yeah. And Wakar had a better Yorker and with, better with reverse swing. But he didn't have all the other things that he needed. Um, so, it, that, and that's the difference, is it, instead of just being great at one thing, like Shoah Bakhtar and Wakar Yunus, because I think those are two of the Asian seamers that were right up there in terms of um, taking wickets at a similar rate to him. Yep. They just didn't have all the other things that Bumrah had. Mm. Yeah, the skill set really, the artillery of uh, tricks that he has is quite unparalleled and yeah. he pulled some absolute seeds in this test. You know, he flattened the off stumps of Ben Stokes, who was really not having any of it. He was <laughs> frustrated from the looks of it and also Tom Hartley to win the game. But that delivery in which Bumrah obliterated middle and leg stump with a searing yorker to dismiss the hero of Hyderabad, Oli Pope, the man who just scored 196 to win England a test match in India. That was something else. I mean, there were shades of Shoei Bakhtar versus Ashley Giles from late 2005 in that because both of those stumps were clattered and, and uprooted. Mm. But this was just different gravy. This might be one of the best dismissals that I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic Yorker. So, uh, I think it was Crick Metric. I think it was them who put the tweet up about um, all the different Yorkers. And there are all these people just saying, no, you've missed this Yorker and you've missed that Yorker. He's just mm. had so many. Um, you know, I, I was commentating this week with Darren Goff. Me and him were in London with the rest of the team were out in India. Darren Goff was, after Wacko Yunus, probably one of the, you know, and Shoah Bakhtar, he was right up there with one of the best Yorker bowlers of his era. Yeah. You know, and, and in another era, he probably would have been the best if he hadn't run into those two guys, right? And he was just in awe 
of that particular delivery. And I think Gideon Haig wrote an entire article about the history of Yorkers because of that um, uh, that particular delivery. And uh, <laughs> Goffey was saying that, that when you bowl one like that and the stumps end up akimbo, right? <laughs> um, he was saying generally a cricketer will get the photo, find the photographer who's taken the best photo, get that printed up at his house. But Goffey was saying, like in Bubba's case, he's probably got like 25 of those already. Like, <laughs> is it even worth, get, is it, you know, is that his favorite one? But he's got like something else. And it does tell you just how much carnage he's managed to do. And probably, I suppose, since Shoal Bakhtar, I don't think there's, we've had, and, and Malinga, but Malinga is different only because his Yorker was very different. But since Shoal Bakhtar, we probably haven't had another bowler with that level of Yorker, right? Mm. Like of just of, I'm just going to bring it out now and there's not much you're going to be able to do about it. Um, yeah, I mean, with Shoaib, you think of those two deliveries that he bowled to Sachin and Dravid, right? Back in yep. the Kolkata test of the Asian Test Championship, if I'm not wrong. But this one is fresh. There's more media around. There's better quality. And I've oh, seen yeah. the clip like 10,000 times already. Like, I just don't get sick of it. So I feel like, you know, for all the young fans... This is going to be the, one of those memories that's going to play in their minds over and over again. And yeah. yeah, it's just phenomenal. Like I was wowed in the first test and he only took six wickets in that one. Over here, he took nine. And someone recently asked me on Twitter, I think, that who is your go-to all-format uh, cricketer? They said cricketer. And I did not think twice. I said Jasprit Bumrah. Because any format, any phase of the game, mm -hmm. I'd have him. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think that's what I mean. He's just on another level at the moment. And mm. uh, the... This is going to sound weird, but there is an advantage to being an Asian seamer, right? Mm. And I think there's a lot of Asian seamers that would quibble with me, but let, but it, hopefully they'll let me finish the sentence. There's <laughs> an advantage in, and I always thought this with the Pakistani bowlers, that you actually have to learn a lot uh, of more skills mm. or you have to be particularly brilliant at one or two things, whether it be pace or swing or whatever it may be, because you, you, know, um, you don't have a choice. Right, you're yeah. going to have to bowl with, with a ball that's going to swing for about four overs, then it's going to stop swinging. You're going to have to bowl a couple of dog spells in the middle, and then mm -hmm. later on, if you can't perfect reverse swing, you're not going to uh, help. And I remember talking to Steve Harmison, and so I said to Harmy that I thought Pat Cummins was the most accurate white mm -hmm. ball, uh, sorry, the most accurate 90 mile an hour bowler we've ever had. And he said that the reason that we are seeing bowls like Pat Cummins is because in white ball cricket, you can't be like Steve Harmison. Right? You mm. can't come in and whack down five wides, right? You yeah. can't bowl short and wide outside our stump. So bowlers have been groomed to, not in a um, sexual predator way, but in a cricket <laughs> way, it, to bowl this more accurate, high, higher skill mm. bowling. And, you know, the other thing that, that Harmony was talking about is the slower balls, right? Like mm. he, he bowled a slower ball, but even he laughed. The only person who thought he had a good slower ball was Michael Clark. No one else in the world ever did because he used to cock his wrist. You can't do that sort of stuff anymore because people watch. All these sorts of things. So modern bowlers are getting better and better and all that. So if you think of Boomer, hmm. you have someone who obviously has elite, elite bowling. You know, we're talking about the top 20 bowling uh, talents hmm. in Easy. team bowling cricket history, right? Yeah. Right at this stage, he may not get there because he may not take enough wickets. But if you're just talking pure talent, he's probably already on that on that list, right? He's then had to come through the Asian conditions where he's had to um, improvise. He had to come through the tape ball um, situation. Mm -hmm. You know, you, he's someone who learnt Yorker before he learnt length, right? All those yeah. sorts of things. So he had to learn all the soft uh, the, the soft skills of being an Asian seam bowler. Mm -hmm. Then he had to learn all the, the skills of being a white ball bowler. And then he took all those and he made those into a red ball thing. So he's in a unique situation 
And right, you'd still rather be in a seamer in England and just get your county <laughs> contract every year and take 60 wickets. But he's in a unique situation that he's had to work all these things through one by one, which means that he is probably the most fully rounded fast bowler that we have ever had, right? And who knows what Dale Steyn or Malcolm Marshall would have done. You know, they were both kind of elite bowlers in their eras, right? And, and Pat yeah. Cummins... It makes sense for Pat Cummins to run in and hit the top of off every single ball, right? Because yeah. on Australian wickets, that that is something. Whereas Boomer can't do that. So he has to continually f- fix stuff around. And yeah, I know he's not he's not like an Ashwin-level communicator, right? Hmm. But there's no doubt that he sees the game in a very Ashwin-like way. And that's oh, yeah. the other thing that I've always thought with him. He's basically a spinner at 90 miles an hour. Yeah, he's extremely intelligent. And I think you make a very valid point about him having to learn a lot more uh, at a very early stage because he himself said that he probably picked up reverse before conventional swing, right? So yeah, those that was are the one, challenges. They are the challenges of an Asian fast bowler. And I'm sure a lot of people in, in Pakistan or bowlers in Pakistan will also relate to that. And it's I, a similar story. It's a tape ball cricket thing as well, isn't it? Hmm. There's, a, yeah. there's an element of tape ball cricket which, which sort of teaches you how to bowl one day more cricket than anything else and also you yeah. learn how to swing the ball whereas probably in in most countries maybe outside of England and New Zealand but in most countries um you know West Indies South Africa Australia those sorts of places you're probably learning to run in and try and just um hit hit the wicket or hit the seam right which is a very uncomplicated way of learning how to bowl right yeah. whereas tape ball cricketers they're already at you know learning this other thing and then you throw in all those other bits we just talked about it, it's it's a fascinating way and as you said if you can learn reverse swing let me tell you a story there's do you know why reverse swing works remember that cricket is a funny game 100 years before we protected our heads players looked after their groins so don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Because um, there's like a shiny side and a rough side and it creates like these no, aerodynamics. That's why it happens. Oh, Do you know okay. why it works? Why is it that a bowler can bowl conventional swing and the batters handle it completely fine? Five overs later, they've roughed the ball up and it's going the other way. And suddenly they all look like they've never seen a bat before. Do you know why that is? It, so we used to think that was part of it, hmm. right? It turns out, I'm pretty sure Crickfish have proven this now. It doesn't swing late, right? Hmm. It does. I still think it swings in a slightly different trajectory to your eye, but that's not it. The reason is when a bowler is coming in, right, that the way that they are holding the ball still makes it look like they are going to be swinging it conventionally and then it goes the other way. Hmm. For if you're like Martin Crow, right, or Javed Mean Dad, and hmm. you see this happening, you just go, oh, fine. Okay, well, I could see that they're trying to swing it away, but actually it's going to come back in and I'll handle that, right? Hmm. 
if you're a normal human being, <laughs> right, there's a slight delay hmm. and you, you can pick it up over time, but you probably won't pick it up in the first five or six balls, hmm. right? And it's that slight delay at, at 80 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, you can't have, right? And, it's, and it's, it's, it works very similar to the wrong end, hmm. right? Um, and it, it's a very similar kind of thing where even if you know this bowler has a wrong end, you still have to be in a situation where you're like positive that that is what they are doing and then pick it out of their hand. So even if you see the wrong end, in the old days, people try, used to try and pick it from uh, the revolutions on the ball. That's a couple of meters later, right? Yeah. It's, it's that little delay that causes all the problems. And, and there's, I take it even further. Left hand is in the field, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you hit the ball, like someone, uh, someone said this, they were really upset when I said recently, if you, the reason left-handers get so many runouts is because people hit to the right-hand side, uh, sorry, to the left-hand side of people and start to run. And this guy's like, how hard is it to remember that a left-hander is in that position in the field? And I said, even if you remember, it's the first two steps that you automatically take that mm. can sometimes get the runout. Right, it, and so yeah. it's all those little things. Um, anyway, I don't know what that has to do with Jasper Bumrah, but here we are, yeah. seventeen minutes in. He's really good. At, yeah, at basically, cricket. eighteen minutes in, we have just spoken about Jasper Bumrah, and Jared has given us a little tutorial on reverse <laughs> swing. So that's why we split this podcast into two, guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, just for some more context, it's what half a second that a batter gets to play a ball at one forty odd, something like yeah. that, right? It's uh, it's between. Um, Four tenths of a second and half a yeah. second. Yeah, I think you're right. It's and 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 it takes um two tenths of a second to blink. Yeah. So basically, that fractional delay that Jared is talking about—that's the impact that that has on yeah. the surface. Uh, we have Shubham Patil, Sam Subashish Bharali, Sheratan KD, and Quantify in the comments. You guys do have some questions. We have a lot to discuss. So if you really want your questions answered, send us a super chat and we'll take it on. Moving further. Only two Indian batters crossed 50 across two innings yeah. in this test match. And both of them got to three figures. Yashasvi Jaisfal, however, doubled that up in the first innings by hitting a career-best 209. And as things stand, Jared, his conversion rate in first-class cricket is better than that of Don Bradman. I know it's a small sample size right now, but that is still a remarkable feat. Got to start somewhere and, if you're going to yeah, beat him. You got to. And I mean, uh, it was a really special knock, wasn't it? Because... Mm. It sowed the seeds of an Indian victory on day one. Had Jaiswal even gotten out at 109, yeah. things would have been different because India won by 106 runs, right? Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, he basically has won them the game. I know Bumrah is uh, the difference, but you kind of mm. feel that the spinners eventually would have chipped in enough um, outside of him, although maybe not because he, he took so many wickets. But, but Jaiswal is the one who set up the game um, to begin with. Look, he's a fantastic player. It's. I still think... There are signs with seam bowling that we need to see him improve. Having said that, Jimmy Anderson really worked him over. Um, and I've seen Kemar Roach work him over before. He's not definitely not terrible against seam bowling. But I think at the moment his, bowl, his batting average against seam is 33 and his batting average against spin is 110 or something. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's, th- there's a clear favourite there. But yeah. <laughs> I, I love the way he moves, the way, the way he thinks about his batting. Mm. He's aggressive, but he's, you know, he's not really basbally aggressive, I don't mm. think. He's just a more yeah. a conventional, more a Quinton de Kock type, um, you know, the way he thinks about his innings. But he's, you know, he's Quinton de Kock with, um, uh, you know, with all due respect to Quinton de Kock, but he's a next level above that, that kind of um, talent. I, I really, really like watching him play. Um, and it, and it was a fantastic innings. It was it was an interesting wicket because looking back on it, essentially 
he was probably the only one who was ever completely set, um, you know, all, all the way through because, you know, Schumann really struggled at the start. And the only thing that um, Joseph ever had an issue with was probably Anderson. Um, but it was a tricky wicket. You saw that with everyone who, who made runs. Yeah. Like, you you know, um, it, it took it took a toll on you. I do think it was probably a wicket where it was slightly easier to score against the new ball. Um, mm. You know, Jaiswal made runs um, and Zach Crawley made runs in both innings. That's not to take away from either of them. Um, yep. But I just thought that was maybe – you saw that with the chase. Like, England looked really good with the chase. And the minute that ball got soft, you're like – this looks a bit tougher, which is, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes we see that in Asia, right? Because the ball just doesn't come on in the same way. And yet it's still spinning a little bit and keeping low and, you know, mm. uh, you know, occasional bounce and everything else. And and it was seeming, Anderson was seeming the ball well into the innings. And Boomer was certainly getting the ball to move around, you know, with reverse and seam uh, later on. So there was just something in it for the bowlers and the batters all the way through. So to make a double hundred on a wicket that isn't flat, flat, yeah. right, is really something special. Especially when no one else makes 50 in your side, in your in your yeah, innings. Absolutely. And I mean, I think he also has impeccable range. And I mean, I'll tell you when I first saw him. It was the Under-19 World Cup in 2020. And uh, Pakistan and India were playing the semi-final of that tournament. And Jaiswal smashed a ton. He re- really hasn't looked back since. I mean, mm. IPL, he's been stellar. His start, to, you know, or in an Indian shirt has been absolutely Terrific. He scored that 170-odd on debut and now he's bested that already. Six tests in. Saurav Ganguly is the left-hander with most test runs for India at 7,200 and something. I see Yashasvi Jaiswal, you know, eclipse him. And uh, you mentioned all these great things that he brings to the table. I think he speaks really confidently as well with a lot of purpose. And uh, I just, I won't dive deeper into his story, of course, because we have a Footmarks podcast upcoming in which we're going to, you know, go over uh, his story in entirety. But yeah, I mean, what an innings, what a knock. And uh, yeah, Shubhan Patil actually has sent us a super chat. But uh, his super chat just says, my question, guys. So you want us to find your question? <laughs> he might be. Oh, wait a minute. Here it is. Wait. He's, he's got two questions. Question. So I don't know which one he's asking us. Or, or, okay, I'll, I'll take oh. this one then. Behram, do you think Saima Ayub and Ash, Azam Khan should play in the World Cup uh, 24 for Pakistan? I believe both of them should be in the squad because they had stellar CPLs. So yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see the PSL and, and we'll know more. Jared, why does it seem that India is struggling in the second half of test matches? Um, I think England have a remarkable record in the third innings of test matches. Have we done a footmarks about that, by the way? Of uh, India struggling England, in the second half of n- test No, matches? no, in- England doing very well bowling in the third innings. I don't think we have. Um, I'll, I'll try find the feature and send it to you because it's a really, really interesting conversation. We never talk about enough in cricket. Hmm. And I do think that England have cracked that particular part of the game. Hmm. Um, I think in this this test... Uh, I mean, India batted poorly and then the spinners probably didn't bowl brilliantly in that second innings. Um, I think that was probably the major part. Uh, the other one, I'm trying to think what happened in the other one. What did they, what happened in the other one? Ollie Pope made runs, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, that he could have gone out early and you wouldn't be asking mm. this question maybe. I, I don't know. Um, but thanks for the super chat. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, uh, Oops. oh, well, there's that. I hope you got your questions answered. We we answered both of them, Shubham. So you, yeah, you got two for the value of one. Anyway, uh, the other batter, of course, who excelled for India was Shubman Gill in the third innings. Yeah, I always get those confused. Uh, he scored 104 and there was heaps, on, heaps of pressure on Gill, uh, Jared. Mm. Uh, he had barely scored any runs ever since he got demoted to number three. 
it is a promotion of sorts, but of mm. course, in the batting order, it's a demotion. And uh, that innings that he just scored, it, it proves that, you know, it's important to blood generational talents like Gil in test matches. We've seen it with Barbar Azam and how Mickey stuck with him mm. as well. And, you know, sure, you'll have a Yashasvi Jaiswal sort of scenario as well where they'll just hit the ground running. But that doesn't always happen. And Shubman Gill, we all know just how talented he is. So, he could very well require some time to find his feet in the grueling format that is Test cricket. And a lot of people were after his head. I'm sure he silenced those guys. Well, he won't have because that's not how uh, <laughs> cricket online works. But um, in fact, I think straight away they were like, oh, I still wasn't that good against spin. I'm like, oh, dudes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we, you know, on, on the Shubman Gill story, he's clearly an S tier talent batting in batting, right? So. With that in mind, I think the worst thing you can do to players like that is yank them in, yank them out, yank them in, yank them out. Very different if you've got like a 27-year-old, um, you know, uh, um, doing something, um, you know, coming into the game or and they're a professional and all those sorts of things. But like if you are, um, you know, a 21 or a 22-year-old coming into the game, you know, even 23, 24, you know, all the way through to 25, right? And we know that you've already dominated a top-level international cricket. You don't need to be in a situation then where um, you're being yanked in and out, if your team can handle it, right? So, you know, Australia did everything they could to keep Michael Clark in that side as long as possible because they didn't want him to get dropped and then, you know, lose his confidence. And Chris Fishaw, Damian Martin, we've seen really good batters get dropped early on in their career and struggle to come back. And in some cases, it's because they kind of go off the, uh, um, off the, um, you know, mentally they lose it a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, and Damian Martin and Prithvi Shaw are both again S tier level ta- batting talents, right? And and when it happens, it's it's quite awkward. In some ways, the crapper teams have a better time of it because, like Martin Crow, didn't start at the start of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Steve War, I think. Was, was averaging about 31. I think he made his first Test 100 on his 26th or 27th Test match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Simpson was another player from Australia who makes a triple 100 in his, uh, as his first 100 after having played for a very long time. It does take a long time for some people mm. to come good. But l- look at those kind of players I'm just talking about. These are generational players, right? Mm-hmm. And in, and in um, Steve Waugh and uh, Martin Crowe's uh, positions, they didn't have a lot of pressure on them coming through. They, the, those, te- those teams at those times weren't particularly strong, so they could hold them on, on a little bit longer. The problem when you go to the Damian Martin issue is that there was like five other Damian Martins. Like you could argue sure. that Greg Blewett was a Damian Martin, right? And Ricky <laughs> Ponting was a Damian Martin. And Justin Langer was a – like there were heaps of those guys. Matthew Elliott and Martin Love. Like there were so many guys coming through who all would have been well above average test players over a long period of time if they'd ever got to that. Um, to that position. So you can't just overreact and get rid of them. Um, you need a better plan for that. And I do think modern cricket is in a better situation to do that than the old days where it was like, you know, Damian Martin disappeared um, to become, I think it was tried to become a travel agent in Perth or something, mm. right? Like it's a bit different now because Sh- what the worst case scenario is Shulman Gill's just going to dominate him um, test cricket, uh, sorry, in one day cricket, he's still going to get a, uh, an IPL contract and everything else. So you do yeah. have a better system around these guys, but you, I, I, I think where possible, when you have a player like that, you want to carry them. The issue with Shubman Gill really wasn't Shubman Gill, right? 
it was the same issue that Pajara had and that Rahane had. And it's that you can't carry multiple players who are uh, who are not making a lot of runs, especially when Coley was another player. And I remember the, um, you know, I remember a situation where Hussey, Katic and Ponting were all on the side at the same time. And Australia had to make a decision of which one of them to drop, right? Mm. I would argue that Katic was in the best form of the three, but Hussey was Hussey and Ponting was Ponting. And so mm-hmm. they got rid of Pont- uh, so they got rid of Katic and it was Ponting that really should have gone, right? And when you're doing that, that's kind of when it, get, it all gets a little bit icky when your main players aren't making runs, then you've got a young guy not making any runs. If you put Shubman Gill into like, you know, one of those fully functioning batting lineups of India in the past, it's like, mate, don't worry about it. Average 30 for the next uh, 15 games, we got you. Because when you come good, we know you're going to carry the next generation, right? Yeah. But when no one's making runs, it's like, uh, we're on your side, but at the same time, could you make some runs? <laughs> also, I mean, we all frequently remember that GABA test, right? And Rishabh Pant. Let's not forget that Gill also had a 50 over there, right? If I'm not wrong, if memory serves me correct. So, yeah, I mean, it's something that's always baffled me when people say that Shubman Gill should be axed in totality. I mean, sure, there could be a situation in which you could potentially drop him, but I'd still keep him around that test team because we all know just what he's capable of. Anyway, um, yeah, another super chat. Sydney Cockman, Koshman. I'm sorry if I butchered your name over there. It's got to be one of those two. Why does Ashwin have a reputation for being an Asia-only bowler when he's better in the West Indies and his economy is great everywhere? I mean, the West Indies is also spin bowling conditions, but yeah, Ashwin's that's why. Good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Essentially, if you look at the tests that he's played in the West Indies, it's usually on the pitches that have spun, which is still hilarious that the West Indies keep doing that when realistically you would have thought, I mean, now that it won't matter because India have a great seam attack, but it did seem odd for a long time that they kept rolling out their spin-friendly wickets, especially because they weren't particularly good at spin. A bit bit different now they've got Moti coming through. But um, yeah, I th- uh, the West Indies isn't the, the good argument. The good argument really is that I think he averages 28 in England. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what his record is in New Zealand, but I think he's okay. Uh, I don't actually, I don't know if he's played that much in New Zealand. Um, he's worked his way from being really poor in Australia to being really good. Um, mm-hmm. this, the same, the same reason that people say Jimmy Anderson can only bowl under clouds. And we just saw him bowl absolutely brilliant spells um, in India, right? Like we know these guys are better than that, but they are more specialist. Uh, I suppose it's a, it's the Vernon Philander thing, right? Of, Vernon Philander averages like 20 in South Africa or something ridiculous and then averages 28 everywhere else. And everyone's like, oh, well, his record's only so good because he's in South Africa. And I'm like, well, a record of 28's really good, everyone. <laughs> it's just that he's yeah. so much better at home, you're looking down on him, right? Like, mm-hmm. So there's a big difference between David Warner, who averages, what, 33 away from home and mm-hmm. 60 at home, right? And I don't know, Steve Smith, who averages like 48 away from home and 65 at home or whatever. It's like... Well, he's still really good in both places. Mm-hmm. Um, so you won't look at that. Whereas with Warner, you're like, well, in one place, he's under a replacement level opener. And in the other, at home, he's a great. That is a much bigger issue. And I don't, and I think with Ashwin, I also think he would have been a much better overseas bowler 
if they if talking about ruining young players, I thought he was fantastic in that first tour he played in Australia. Mm. Didn't get a lot of wickets. They yanked him around the um around a little bit, and they didn't play him overseas enough after mm. that. If you're a young off spinner in Australia, you're not going to take any wickets. My God, unless you're Suckley Mushtak and you just invented a ball that no one can play, you're not going to do very well. Yeah, and also I think that point that you brought up is very important that he didn't get a lot of games, right? India always strengthened yeah. their batting depth with Jadeja. And to be fair, that's a good option to have. I mean, it's that's not, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Tough no, ball, perfect. Right? No, no, there's yeah. absolutely no issue with doing that at all. I think we, I, I think Ashwin has talked about that as well. Like he understands yeah. it. But I do think early in his career, especially when Jadeja wasn't as good as he is now, there was a lot of times they picked Jadeja and Jadeja isn't, you know, he, he's not, not, I don't know the best way of putting it, but Jadeja is more like Nathan Lyon, more of a plug and play bowler. Mm. Whereas I think Ashwin needs to work his way into different situations and he just didn't yeah. bowl on enough pitches that weren't Asian. We know he can do it. And, you know, I still think that they should just pick both of them every time they play a test, no matter where it is. But I can understand why they don't do that. Yeah, it is a head scratcher. And often, you know, I've left been wondering that why doesn't Ashwin play more tests? But then again, it's not like the other rationale is like batshit crazy, right? Anyway, speaking of spin bowling, England's inexperienced spin trio of Rehan Ahmed, Tom Hartley and Shoaib Bashir, the latter making his test debut. And all three of these guys had like three tests between them coming into this Vizag uh, test match. They outperformed India's uber-skilled spin attack and experienced as well, if you consider uh, Ashwin at least, because Jadeja was out of this one. And how big of a positive do you think that is for England moving forward in this series? What if I said it was a negative? It was a negative because they're only going to be playing one pacer? (laughs) No, it's a negative because that's the only time I think they're ever going to outbowl the Indian spinners and they lost the match. Hmm, that's true. I can't see them outbowling the Indian spinners in another game after also, this. Like, they're not going to get Ash- a weaker Indian 11 uh, again in this is, is the series. This was the weakest a- that they would ever be. Ashwin is ca- currently going through Twitter for every person who is saying that the England bowlers have outbowled him um, in this. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Like, I just I find it really hard. I, like, actually, I just looked a little bit. Flat at times. It was interesting. I thought that might be a wicket that would help him, but it didn't seem to, uh, you know, work particularly that well. Uh, who was the other? Who? Um, uh, cool Deep weirdly got the most inconsistent bounce. Um, I thought he bowled well, but he he looked a little slow to me at times. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what was happening there. Ashwin, I thought was coming good um, uh, at times, but never looked like the Ashwin that we had seen. Um, I, again, I think that was for England, an almost ideal pitch for them to steal another win. Mm-hmm. Um, similar enough to Hyderabad, good for seam bowling. Uh, Indian spinners without Judasia didn't look as good. You know, just a bunch of little things that went in their favour mm-hmm. and they've lost that game. So, look, I if you want to go through the amount of bad balls that both spin lineups bowled, um, I think it's fair to say that uh, I know which ones actually bowl better in the game, even if, they, if mm-hmm. the England bowlers got better uh, figures. But the Indian batters are the bigger question, I think, than the uh, English um, spinners because I don't know what's going on with the Indian batters. They are just yeah. – and, and, and there's not even one pattern because they batted very differently in the – if you look at all four innings, it's kind of been mm. different things at all times. Um, you know, the, the first one they obviously just didn't kick on because they didn't maybe didn't think it was going to be that, that important. Um, the second one was um, – you know, that uh, that chase under pressure, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one, they were saved by one guy, but no one else. You know, we, we they had that period where 
you know, Akshar and, and, and Barrett came in and they did look a little bit weaker with their batting. And the, their third innings, I still don't really know how they ended up only making that amount of runs and giving yeah. England any chance of chasing anything. It, it's been bizarre cricket, I think, from India's batters so far. And as I said, in many different ways. Yeah, they've been soft dismissals, but they've all been different kinds of soft dismissals. Yeah. And it's just been weird because you seem like they're looking good out there and they're going to go on and convert this into a big score. But ultimately, only two guys crossed 50 all test match. And luckily for India, those guys, you know, made it count. They went mm. big. Um, you mentioned Jimmy Anderson before. Of course, he bowled pretty well in this game. Uh, basically went for no runs, bare minimum. Took five wickets across both innings. And his test tally is up to 695 wickets now. The man is 42 this year, Jared. And he's nearly, or he did almost touch 140 clicks in this game as well. That's more than the average speed of Shaheen Afridi as things stand currently. Would you say that Jimmy is the Sachin Tendulkar of fast bowling, at least when it comes to longevity? Uh, yes, I would have thought that Courtney Walsh still has bowled more professional deliveries. Hmm. Um, I, we'd have to check. And maybe I'm wrong. So Courtney Walsh is remarkable as well um, because he – I wonder if Courtney Walsh actually played more county cricket than, <laughs> than Jimmy Anderson did. Maybe he didn't. But, you know, Courtney Walsh would have played in that ODI period as well, you know, played all three formats all the way through in his career. Um, you know, so he bowled – let's just have a look here. He bowled 105,000 balls. What is Jimmy oh, wow. Anderson? Do you know how many Jimmy Anderson's bowled off the top of your head? I don't know why you would know that. I don't know why anyone would no, know that. I, I have no idea how you would assume that I would know that. <laughs> um, Jimmy Anderson has bowled, is this right? 30, no, did I get, did I just give Courtney Walsh just a bunch of extra deliveries there? Or is that actually honestly true? Okay. Oh my God. I'm getting you said 105,000 for Courtney. That can't be right. That, so 37,000, 38,000 professional balls for Jimmy Anderson. And let me just see if I got, yeah, yeah, 105,000 for Courtney Walsh. Oh, wow. um, so <laughs> I, I think it's, it is, you always have to be honest here and say that, and Courtney Walsh would be honest with this, that it's much easier to bowl at the lower level um, mm. than it is at the top level. Um, but that does show you that it is, ha that it has happened before. They both bowled, you know, into mm. their older age. Um, but perhaps that makes Courtney Walsh the Jack Hobbs. And mm. Jimmy Anderson, the Sachin Tendulkar, in in some Perhaps. ways, but uh, they're both remarkable athletes who could kind of bold forever, and uh, you know were incredible for for their um, for their teams every, everywhere they played. Um, but the thing with Jimmy Anderson is, I think, because of his age, every time he plays a bad game now, it's like, oh, he's finally yeah. passed it, and then he then he just plays good again. So I can't work out at the moment what we're seeing is that bit where old players still every three or four games are themselves and then the other games they're not. You know. Interestingly enough, Jimmy has been poor in England, whereas in Asia he's been really good. Even in the Pakistan series, he was phenomenal. And he's he was far better than Mark Wood in, in this series thus far. I mean, those five wickets had high impact and Shubman Gill in the first innings as well at that time was a big wicket. It's interesting to see how his career unfolds. I do see him crossing Warren. I don't see him crossing Murli. So how many is he off Warren? 50? He's off 40? by 13. 13. Just 13. Oh, 13. Yeah, yeah. sorry, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, so Murali is a distance away, isn't he? Mm -hmm. um, look, there's, there shouldn't be anything that stops him taking over Warren unless he explodes a part of his body, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> it would have to be a pretty catastrophic injury from here on in. Um, uh, look, it's 
it's been a wild journey and the fact that it just keeps going uh, is always incredible to me. And mm. um, he really is I, – I love his skills, but I don't think we talk about his athleticism enough. Like, mm. you know, and Courtney Walsh we just talked about is probably someone right in that thing of just like these guys just have the – because you've got to have fast twitch muscles to mm. be able to bowl fast, right? So I don't want yeah. to get too much into sports science, but you need an element of fast twitch muscles to be able to bowl fast. But those two, and mostly fast twitch athletes, are sprinters, right? Mm. And yet, those two are endurance athletes as well. Like the combination of doing that for, well, what, Jimmy's been a professional for 23, 24 years. You know, Courtney Walsh, uh, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, I can't remember his full career. After, uh, he's, you know, it just doesn't make any sense what, what they've yeah. been able to do. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a miraculous effort to still be bowling at the level that Jimmy Anderson is at that age. There really aren't many people who've ever been able to do that before. Yeah. And I mean, if you call Courtney Walsh, the Jack Hobbs of bowling and Jimmy, the Sachin of bowling, that means that Mizbah, or well, Ryan Harris is the Mizbah of bowling, maybe because he was a late bloomer. <laughs> what would Ryan Harris be? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't even, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. Don't get me started on Ryan Harris. Yeah. We're 41 minutes in and we haven't finished the first friggin' test that we're talking yeah. about yet. Yeah. Virat Kohli is going to be back for the third test and, uh, Birds or little birds at Crick Buzz tell us that Jasprit Bumrah might be rested. Now, Kohli will probably replace uh, Patidar. But uh, is that more to lose for India if Bumrah goes out and Kohli comes in? I mean, based on the form of so mm. far, yes. Um, Jadeja not playing as well. If you don't have Jadeja and Bumrah yeah. in one side. I still think India is the better team. And um, I think England have kind of slightly overperformed at the moment. As I said, I... I think they probably, looking back on it, this might be the test that causes them to lose the series because I think the wicket was quite handy and they played some decent cricket at times. Um, uh, so they certainly gave themselves a chance uh, in this game. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, looking back on it, but if, you know, if India go into a test match without Boomer and Jadeja, so what's, who's your main seamer? So Siraj comes back as your main seamer. Yeah. If Siraj doesn't take a burst of wickets at one stage... Then it's down to Ashwin and Akshar. As I said, mm -hmm. Akshar didn't look to me, um, not, not that he looked injured or anything, he just didn't look as dynamic as we've seen before. Might just be yeah. that the wicket was a little, wasn't, mm -hmm. didn't suit him as much, but I thought there's quite a lot of bounce in that pitch and I thought he could be a real handful. Um, he maybe wasn't as much, but, you know, so that puts a lot of pressure back on Ashwin, um, who's bowled well, but not Ashwin well so far. Yeah. Yeah, and England will be doing a lot of soul-searching when they reach the UAE for that little break between test matches. Is soul-searching code for drinking <laughs> and golf? Perhaps. And, and cigars, of course. Uh, Zach Rolly, as you said, earned his cigars, right? Scored twin 70s. So yeah. there's a guy I, who... That's the best I've seen him bat in a test match. Yeah, and he was the only English batter to cross 50 as well. So props to Zach Rolly over mm -hmm. there. Before we end this, how good was uh, Ben Folks behind the stumps? Yeah, I thought there were times in the first test where... I thought he was a little bit scrappier, but I think looking mm. back, him and Barrett have actually been struggling. This this wicket has these two wickets have actually caused some issues for wicket keepers. I think at times, mm. um, I called the catch. Uh, I, I sorry, I called the Shreyas eye wicket fluky, and people got a bit upset. They're like, "It's not fluky; it was a brilliant catch." And I was like, "It's fluky because the chances are when a ball um, keeps low, of you getting an edge and it going through to the wicket keeper, uh, almost non-existent. And for a wicket keeper to have their hands anywhere near it." 
The the catch was sensational. The fact that he got an edge and it went through the wicketkeeper was the fluky bit. Uh, but yeah, we certainly saw some brilliant work from him in the field. Uh, well, he, he, with the gloves on, with the batting. I, I know he batted better in the second innings, but at times uh, he he. he He's very good at staying in, but he's just not putting any pressure back on the Indians at the moment. Mm. And I think Ben Stokes even had a word with him, you know, to just try and put some pressure back on. But his wicket-keeping has been top class. I think we will see uh, – we may not see Barrett. They may replace him. But I don't think we'll see a batting wicket-keeper in this series. I think we'll see wicket-keepers that bat even if they make a change with Barrett. Yeah, let's see how folks fares in the remainder of the series. I know a lot of people in England are happy that he's in the squad. I, I'm a fan as well. I, I like Ben Folks. But anyway, on that note, we'll end this segment. Uh, you're with Behram and Jared watching Overthrows. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Behram and Jared. And we've got Josh Ford, Vishwas Acharya, Arko, Register. All of them have joined us in the comments. If you really want one of those questions answered, guys, send in a super chat and we'll take it on. But right now, we'll be talking about Sri Lanka versus Afghanistan. And Sri Lanka have comprehensively defeated Afghanistan mm. in the solitary test match that was being played in Colombo by 10 wickets. And uh, Prabhat Jaisuria, once again, player of the match, bagged eight wickets in the game, including a five-wicket haul in the second innings. And Jared, to me, it seems like when it comes to these home tests, where Sri Lanka generally tend to do well, when it comes to bowlers, they just have this lone trump card in Prabhat Jaisuria. And when he doesn't play well, they don't win. Yeah. I mean, I think they've got a really good bowling attack at the moment in mm. limited overs cricket. Like quite a rounded, you know, Hasaranga and Tikshana and... You know, the various quicks, left arm, right arm, tall, fast, all sorts of things. And you look at their test lineup, and this is probably more of a question for Estelle than it is for me, but I look at their test lineup and I'm like, well, if it spins a goal, um, they're going to be a handful. But outside of that, I think you'd be pretty confident in playing them. Was it Jay Saria who kind of bowled? Was it Jay Saria who took all the wickets? against England, or was it another left-arm finger spinner, wasn't it? Like, they've had a couple of left-arm finger spinners, I think, in the last few years come through, uh, last five or six years. But everything else looks to have stagnated a little bit. Um, I thought Afghanistan worked their way back into this mm -hmm. game and then, would, you know, and then unfortunately gave it away. So they'll be disappointed from that perspective. Um, it's also a little bit disappointing. It's a, it's a one-off test. I'm right in that, aren't yeah. I? That, that was it, yeah. A little bit disappointing. It's a one-off test and everything. Like... If Afghanistan seemed to be playing better as the game went on, and then they don't have another test again, so is that really going to help them? But uh, you know, Sri Lanka would be more than happy at getting getting. I was going to say getting away with it, but winning quite easily after was it after the third day? Was it the morning of the fourth day when Afghanistan collapsed? Whenever it, whichever been, morning it was, might have been morning of the fourth day. Are you right? Yeah. So, you know, Afghanistan looked like they were going to make them work for it and uh, Sri Lanka worked themselves back into the game. So I, I saw little bits of this. Um, I certainly saw Angelo Matthews being dismissed off perhaps the worst <laughs> delivery of all time, which was a short, <laughs> wide bouncer down the leg side mm -hmm. that he tried to sweep fine for a cheap boundary and sm smashed his own stumps with his bat. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard it, Steve Harmison. I, so I talked the dismissals through to Steve Harmison, mm -hmm. who was like, he, who first said, well, at least it wasn't the worst delivery ever bowled in Test cricket. We were like, no, but it's the worst one to get a wicket. And Harmony was like, yeah, I didn't even get a wicket with mine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, it certainly made a I know I showed it to a lot of cricketers and they were just like, what, what the hell is this? Yeah. I mean, I am loving Angelo Matthews' arc over here, right? He came back into the fold. He's actually made some performances, got timed out 
you know, cried about it, but has continued to perform with both bat and ball. I know he didn't doesn't bowl in test cricket as much, but in the limited overs games, he was bowling quite well. Scored 141 before that comical dismissal, of course, which no one will ever forget. He's made a habit of, of, of comical dismissals off late. And uh, KS Ahmed will definitely be happy that he, he got a wicket off that ball. And uh, of course, that wasn't the only batting performance. Uh, Matthews, 141. Also, Dinesh Chandimal scored 107. But the performance that stands out for me is Dimut Karuna Ratne scoring a 72-ball 77 in the first innings. And then in the second innings, when Sri Lanka came out to bat, he scores an unbeaten 32 of 22 deliveries. And I never thought I would live to see the day that this would happen. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got him and Shan Masood kind of changing what they do. And quite late in both their career, they'd both be over 30. I mean, Karuna Ratne would yeah. definitely be, but Shan would be 31, 32, wouldn't he? 34, maybe. I mean, Sean's maybe slightly different because he's probably changed the way he's batted about eight. Sean's one of the, Sean's like one of those people that whatever the last self help book um, he's read is, <laughs> that's how he plays, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah. you know, th- there's an element about that where he's like a constant searcher for, for, for the universal truth. And when he retires, he'd be like, oh, I probably could have just batted the same way I started and I would have ended up with roughly the same record. Um, uh, but, but yeah, Karuna Ratney is, is interesting. I think we are seeing a lot of players who are, I mean, the second innings one is probably less interesting just because of uh, what it was. But I do think we are yeah. seeing a lot of players who are understanding the tenets of baseball, if not fully committing to, you know, all of it, but just thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute here, um, you know, in this situation, I can be more aggressive. Why have I just been pushing this ball for one or two when I can hit that ball for four, put pressure back on the other team? So I do think we are seeing a slight change with the way that teams are thinking about it, which is also not problematic for England, but it means that within three or four years, we're going to see a lot of players who believe in parts of baseball. We're already seeing teams sort of adapt parts of it as well. So it won't just be England on their own. It's weird how he's credited Usman Khwaja for someone who he's, you know, he's followed his template and how he considers Khwaja to be the benchmark of test openers right now, which isn't false, but that is not how Usman Khwaja bats. That's the interesting part, right? (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what? There was a season where Usman Khwaja went absolutely ballistic in the big bash. Mm. I reckon it was like five or six games. It might have even been less than that. And um, Khwaja can go. Mm. Khwaja probably has become more it's like more like a traditional player that over time you just chip away or you're attacking shots. And to be fair with Kawaja, he kind of only ever hit the ball square. And over time, I think if you're limited with your scoring options, you slow down naturally just because teams just start to put fielders out there, right, and start to bowl to plans that don't allow you to do that. But, yeah, certainly, um, I, I, you know, it would be – it would be surprising if Kawaja came out and played in innings of roughly a runner ball and then slogged his way to a 10-wicket victory now. I think we'd all be pretty shocked at that. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty shocked at Dimut's performance, but it's good. Sri Lankan fans should be excited and he does want to play 100 test matches. So let's see how this remainder or so highlight of his career, you know, fares. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's move to Afghanistan, of course. Uh, Playing in a sixth test match, opening the batting, Ibrahim Zadran scored 114 in the third innings. You know, fought his way back or helped Afghanistan fight their way back into the game. And at one point, it seemed like they might just make a fist of this before they collapsed. He's already impressed greatly in ODI cricket. He's got some scores in T20s, but more so an anchor. Doesn't really accelerate. Jonathan Trott loves him. And there's good reason for him to have that love. And we have seen signs from Ibrahim Zadran over and over again, even throughout the ODI World Cup, 
where it seems like he is the answer to Afghanistan's batting woes in the long run. He also, Jared, presented his uncle, Noor Ali Zadran, his test cap. You know, how, how frequently do you get to see that? A nephew presenting his uncle a test, ca- a test cap. And uh, it truly really was a one-of-a-kind first in, in cricket, for me at least. It would have to be, wouldn't it? I mean, maybe <laughs> the only thing would be would be Ireland or Papua New Guinea. I can't think of another cricket culture that would actually be in a situation, you know, a major cricket culture anyway, that would be in a situation where, we, where they would do that. But, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, look, he's what's he averaging in one-day cricket? 50, 51? Like high, I, yeah. yeah, and I think I remember. I've got a feeling I've looked this up recently for something else I was writing. I think his runs are against fairly. Oh, that's Test cricket. That's not going to help me. I think his runs are against fairly good teams as well. Like yeah, so he's got two ODI hundreds against uh, Sri Lanka, one against Australia, one against Bangladesh, and then one against Zimbabwe. Like it's not like he's making his ODI hundreds, um, you know, uh, against qualifying level teams and and, yeah. and everything else. So. Um, absolutely. I, I like, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I bought, I bought it already. Um, mm. but an innings like this from behind, you know, when, when the team was really quite low, I think it just shows, yeah. but he just, he kind of just knows what he's doing. You, you watch mm. him and, um, he's gonna, he might be an issue in white ball cricket going ahead just because strike rate. Um, but if they do play a lot of test matches, I would expect him to have a really, really good record. I think he averages around, 40, the, I think. Yeah, 39, 40, something like that at the moment. Something like that. I mean, he had if, 350s prior to this 100, and this 100 should help, right? Yeah, so if he, if he, I suppose what I'm saying is if they can get a guy who can average 40 at the top of the order for the next 10 years, if you look at developing test nations, that's one of, the, the kind of the harder things are the top order players uh, who, who make runs and the generally strike bowlers. Those are the two things that you struggle to find as, as test nations when you first begin. Um, so, you know, having, you know, middle order players and, and stock bowlers and all those, those you can kind of find, Mm. but that strike bowler and, you know, real top order rocks who, who are averaging like good amount, not just averaging 33 and being plucky and and standing there for you. So I think it's a really exciting development, Uh, even though he's not, He's not particularly an exciting player. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. He's more of an elegant player than an exciting player. But I just think it's, this is what Afghanistan needs to do is start producing just batters that, you know, are not just looking to hit everything for six and can bat really long time and understand batting. And I could see, <laughs> knowing Trotty a little bit, I could see why Trotty would like all these things. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's still young and he's developing and he's had a terrific start to his international career. He can be that run accumulator for Afghanistan going into the future. They already have one in Rehmat Shah, who did quite well in this match, 91 in the mm-hmm. first innings yeah. and 54 in the second. But They're we already a few of them. Yeah, we already knew that Rehmat was good at this. What I want to talk about is his dismissal in the first innings. I don't know if you caught that clip or not, but Sadira Samra Vikrama preempted the sweep shot from Rehmat to take an incredible catch down the leg side. Oh, did, yes, did I did see that. that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't amazing. seen that in a while, have we? Like, hmm. I reckon Darren Sammy might have been one of the first players I saw to do that. And, you know, there was someone in the India-England, I think it was in the first test, who had a good go at it. Um, hmm. it's, an, it's an incredible uh, skill to be able to do. Uh, hmm. I, like, I, I, I can't imagine the... You have to be reading the game so well, but then you also need the, the athleticism to get over there. It's, it's fantastic. You, I saw the 
video in slow-mo and the batter was sweeping in slow-mo, Rehmat. And this is a guy who was on 91, right? He's nearing 100. If you look at Sadira go at the back, it's not slow-mo. So imagine how <laughs> quickly he must be moving in real time, which really is great. But yeah, to your earlier point, if they've got two of those guys in Ibrahim and Rehmat who can get them consistent runs, the rest of the guys can kind of accelerate around them. And if you, if you get Afghanistan to like a pass score, that spin bowling attack can definitely win you more games. And it's a team that I'll be keeping a very close eye on. Anyway, before we go to the, into the break, Sankalp Verma has a super chat. And he's asking you something which might take us another 10 minutes. Hey, Jared, can you please give us a quick, basic, explanatory intro to Wobble Ball? Heard it many times now, not to not be entirely sure of its details. Okay, so traditionally, bowlers would try and bowl with the seam dead straight. Hmm. And... And when that ball would hit the seam, obviously it would go in either direction. And generally, because of the way your wrist releases the ball, you generally seam it one way or not not both ways. And then, of course, there are some bowlers who have the ability to hit the seam like Kurtley Ambrose and seam it in both different directions. Mm. But the batter can generally read what the bowler is going to do unless you are a Kurtley Ambrose, Glenn McGrath type of bowler. And so that means that the batter knows that Okay, they're trying to hit the seam here, and if they hit the seam, it's going to come back in. Um, and, and that's what I will set up for. The wobble ball is a ball where can just naturally seam in both different directions. And also, there's no clue. Even the bowler, when it releases, doesn't know. So if you look at the mm. Jimmy Anderson delivery, Jimmy Anderson, when he was asked about the magic delivery to Rohit Sharma, he goes, yeah, I mean, I didn't mean that. It just happened. And that's because all he was trying to do was get the wobble ball in the right area. So it would either nip back and hit the top of leg stump, straighten a little bit, hit the top of off stump, or straighten even more and maybe get an outside edge into slips or the wicket keeper. And what, it's basically a looser way of holding the seam. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a ridiculously easy thing to learn, but not a very easy thing to master. And there are a lot of bowlers who have done it traditionally by accident. We believe that Courtney Walsh was one. Uh, Sean Pollock was another one. Uh, there's a few older bowlers, Kate Cross, uh, Tim Murta, who do it by accident. And that's part of their success was this delivery they didn't even know they had. Um, and and so uh, and and it's it does require really good wrist position. So it generally works better if you were a swing bowler, which traditionally, if you're a seam bowler and you're a swing bowler, they're two different things. Yeah. I did that and, as quickly uh, as possible so Bayram wouldn't like just, you know, end There's the show. a great piece on this as well i forgot who wrote it but ben? um ben yes um, ben gardner ben, ben gardner from wisdom wrote a, a long thorough piece on the wobble seam and how it's evolved and how you know mohammed asif came into the picture Stuart clark came into the picture jimmy anderson perfected it that's the article you need to read if you didn't understand all of these I, i've got a video i've been working on it for four years um <laughs> which is even more in depth than ben's which is why he got his we were working on it at the same time we were chatting about them at one stage um i will eventually get it out there it's just it's such a big project that every time I try and finish it, I can't. But I've probably got about 80,000 words of notes on this one delivery that I need to somehow bring in and make an article of. But it's it's a fascinating story. Of, and what I love about it is it already existed. It's just what has happened is the ability to repeat it. And, and if you want to go back, the wrong one was exactly the same way. We know that there were leg spinners who accidentally bowled the wrong one, but they didn't know how to control it or what they were doing. And then when the wrong one completely takes over cricket, when people know how to repeat it and teach other people how to do it. And that's what happened with the wobble ball. We did a footbox on that, by the way, uh, the Bozen K one. So go, go and check that out. Anyway, on that note, we shall take another break on overthrows. You with Behram and Jared. Stay tuned for Australia versus West Indies and a bit of New Zealand versus South Africa after this short break.
Hello and welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Behram and Jared. And we've got some more people in the comments. We've got Register. Arko was there initially as well. And A22 and Carl Wells have also joined us. A lot of your questions we will answer because they're automatic talking points in today's show. And MD Zobayer is also here. Uh, so Australia versus West Indies. Let's start with that. Australia have taken an unassailable 2-0 lead over the West Indies in the ODI series at home. And one of the stories that have come out of the series is a 25-year-old right-arm pace bowler from South Australia, Xavier Bartlett. He took 4 for 17 on debut. And uh, I haven't heard much about him, Jared. So, so enlighten me. What, what do you know about this young gun? Yeah, I think I think there's you know obviously um, he's kind of been further down the pecking order. Uh, you know, Spencer Johnson has taken up a lot of mm. uh, uh, airtime recently. You've got Lance Morris as well. Um, am I missing someone else? No, I think it's just those two, isn't it? Um, that everyone's been Jai, talking about. Jai maybe. Jai was uh, all the... Well, Jai, Jai is that sort of previous generation, you know, um, you know, Riley Meredith as well. But, yeah. you know, I, so I, th- I think with Xavier Bartlett, they, this is very much an experimental team, right? They want to see how these players are going to go. Um, it's Matthew Short, Aaron Hardy, uh, Fraser McGurk, Will Sutherland. Mm. Like, they've been, yeah. they're trying a lot of different players. I've, I've had mixed results on... on uh, on Bartlett, where they're not a hundred percent sure, but they're going to take the the um, the wickets at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more just an exploratory thing of you know they want to know who that next generation is. Yeah. They're pretty sure on Spencer Johnson, and obviously that you know with um, Aaron Hardy and uh, Cameron Green and Mitchell Marsh, if you want to throw in there, mm-hmm. they've got the kind of they've got some all round depth um, available that, but they want to see who the next sort of that crop is going to take over. And, um, I th- I've got a feeling, uh, I'm trying to think that Bartlett played somewhere. Did he play in Australia a game? Oh no, it was a junior cricket. I remember when it, when he came up, um, in the under 19s, that was the first time I'd kind of heard of him. Um, but you know, it hadn't, you know, hadn't massively worked for him, uh, so far, but look, his first cast records pretty solid. Um, white ball cricket, uh, maybe not, not as much at the moment, but get him into the one day is see how he goes. I think it's a fair way of going about it. And, you know, to be fair, it's, it's, it's done, you know, I'd take four for 17. You'd take four for 17, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Any day of the week, four for 17 is a great way to start your career in ODI cricket or any format for that matter. And I've seen a lot of fringe bowlers for Australia over the years. You mentioned a few, there's, uh, uh, what's the left armor's name? Who also went to the Berendorf? There's Berendorf. Yeah. There's Billy Stanlake. Um, we see these guys come and go. I hope that Bartlett maybe sticks around a bit because he's still 25 or whatever. So let's see I how that goes. If you look at Stanlake, Stanlake just couldn't do his body. It just maybe was too big, if we're being mm. honest. Um, Berendorf. Just his body wouldn't allow him to do it. Jai Richardson, uh, uh, if you've seen Jai injured. Richardson in full, Jai in full Richardson flight, is really good. I love Jai Richardson, but he's, he's always injured. He's incredible. I mean, I, you know, Pattinson is another one. So that I don't think the conveyor belt's massively the problem, but there did seem to be, outside of Pattinson, they didn't really find another bowler of that sort of, to, to be able to push Stark and Cummins and Hazelwood. So it meant yeah. that if Hazelwood or Stark, you know, not that, I mean, Hazelwood had a slight down period, but Stark's had some down periods. You kind of want Jai Richardson to be fit and just be pushing because Jai Richardson is probably of that tier. Lance Morris, Riley Meredith, probably not quite um, at that level. Billy Stanlake on pure what he should be able to do 
could be the best bowler in the world, but it's clearly that's not going to happen. But um, yeah. yeah, so they do need guys pushing through a little bit more. You don't want to be in a situation where you have kind of Chris Tremaine, um, uh, Jackson Bird. Um, yeah. uh, trying to think of some of the others. Coulter uh, uh, Nile was there, but I think Coulter Nile was also Kane all Richardson. Round. Yeah, even Coulton even Isle, I tell you what, young Coulton Isle, I thought would go on to be a much better bowler than he was. Um, but yeah, so I think that you, you, you don't want it to be like a drop. And I think at times when they haven't picked their best players, it has been a bit of a drop. It's why they kept Siddle around, right? I mean, like, remember that time where Dougie Bollinger came up the ranks and from a fringe bowler, he became a regular bowler. Hilfenhaus, I think, same era. So they had that McGrath, Gillespie and Lee uh, yep. trio and then they went through this phase and now you have Stark Cummins Hazelwood and it's inevitable that they're going to go through that phase again. Exactly and so you know Bartlett I, I don't know if he's the answer but you know mm. that's what they're kind of thinking at the moment if we're being honest and you know th- they like a few different guys as well. Um, who's the guy that plays in the IPL that bowls all the back of the hand slower balls? Um, AJ Tai, Andrew, Andrew Tai. No not him he plays uh, oh. um, uh, the younger guy with the blonde hair from Tasmania Um uh, so, oh, Nathan, you know, Ellis. Nathan Ellis. Nathan Ellis. So there's yeah. a few guys they like in different ways. Um, but yeah, you're not. Yeah, Spencer Johnson probably is. How old is he? Do you know how old he is? He's um, not that old, right? I mean, before the 100, did we really know about him that much? I didn't. No, we didn't know about him because he's been injured his whole life. So he's 28, right? Oh, there you go. And it's all because of the injuries. Like, if he was 24, 25 probably just hand him the new ball quite soon um, and you could ease off one of the other three. Um, and maybe they still will. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. But he just – the problem with him is I, – I, I could be wrong, but I'd just be worried about him. Play, you know, he's played four first-class games in his life, right? Um, I, we just don't know how – if he can get through games. But, you know, um, he, clearly he's that level of talent from what we've seen so far. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually don't know why I mentioned Andrew Ty because he got a lot of games for Australia, more games than he deserved probably. And, uh, you know, another performer or star performer for Australia with both bat and ball actually in the second ODI in particular was Sean Abbott. He has been identified as a regular bench warmer for Australia prior mm. to the ODI World Cup as well. He was phenomenal in uh, the English county season, yeah. particularly with the bat. And he, you know, brought that performance to the fore in this second ODI where he scored 69 and then coupled that with a 3 for 40 in his 10 overs. This to me suggests that perhaps he might not be threatening any, you know, regular bowler's position, but perhaps he could be a better Marcus Stoinis for Australia come, you know, Champions Trophy 2025. He's probably not good enough to bat top six. I think that's the Mm -hmm. issue. Um, Look, he's always had batting talent. Mm -hmm. I remember... Oh, a long time back, maybe towards the beginning of the the Big Bash when he was quite young. And he, I remember seeing him playing in England go, oh, this could be really interesting. It just never quite developed. And then I remember he was at Surrey with Gareth Batty and Gareth Batty was telling me about his batting. And I said, have you got the right guy? Are you?" And he's like, no, you have to come and see him now. He has, he has changed uh, the way he's going. So, look, I think he's a... Um, Again, he's more that Kane Richardson, Nathan Coulton, Isle level of player in that he's not going to force out one of the great players, but... If he, if he can bring it all together, he's got a lot of decent skills. He mm-hmm. doesn't probably have one skill that's ever been elite enough to get him, you know, full-time into the Australian side. But if you, if you get better at batting, it's sort of hard to overlook your bowling. Um, at, at, you know, it was not overlook your bowling. If you get better at batting, it, means, it kind of makes your bowling look better, even if it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think there's an, uh, that, that is quite interesting. But, yeah, I, I'm – I still think he's probably more a fringy squad member than anyone who's going to be in a starting 11, but who knows? 
Yeah, I do see him as a regular fringe player now. I think he's always going to make the squad because they've literally locked him as that player. And you know how my predecessor Bharat used to wave the Michael Nisa flag. I'm going to be waving the Sean Abbott flag because I just love the fact that he's the guy who was on the wrong end of the Phil Hughes incident. And to yeah. come back from that requires a lot of mental strength. And, and I'm a big admirer because of that. Also, I see some people who are saying that you know, they've asked some questions over here. We have a lot to cover. So if you really want your question to be answered, leave us a super chat and we'll take care of it. Also, Human Clone is giving us like, I don't know, a, astronomy info on, in the comments. So that, that's interesting. Uh, anyway. Astronomy <laughs> or astrology? Is it? I, I always confuse the two. But basically all of those, you know, stars and stuff. Something, he's telling us about stars. Not yeah, Melbourne stars? No. Not the okay. Melbourne Stars at all. He's telling us about whether it's the year of the dog or year of the tiger. I, I don't particularly follow. The but anyway, year of Sean Abbott, apparently. <laughs> Let's uh, go back to the first ODI. Of course, there were a bunch of batting performances. Australia chased down 232 with eight wickets in hand. What they like is that Cameron Green and uh, Stephen Smith, they made unbeaten scores of 77 and 79. But what I'm keen to talk about is... Uh, well, Josh Inglis, he scored a 43-ball 65 and he came in as opener. He's batted as opener in both those games. David Warner has retired from ODIs. And I'm a little surprised that this is the direction that Australia have gone because, uh, I don't know, uh, Josh Inglis versus Pace. We've spoken about this in the past. Do you see him as someone who could, you know, make it as opener? Look, I'm a massive fan of him, so I kind of hope he works it out. Um He's from WA, so he should be able to play pace. Yeah. But, you're, I mean, you're right. It's, it's been a question mark so far in international mm. cr cricket. I think they kind of just want to fit him in somewhere. Mm. Um, and he's not real. I, I think he – I think they kind of want him to bat three and four. Or probably four – maybe four is probably where they want him to go. But there's some issues with mm. the lineup of where he might fit in there. Um, and so – why not get him up the order and see if it works? Uh, they know he's got talent, so I don't think that's an issue. Um, you know, you, you see this sometimes with wicket keepers, don't you? You kind of, they have to kind of just throw him around the order till they find a spot that works and they can kind of build the batting order around him. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but you're right to question it, but I don't know what the answer is going to be um, in the long run there. Yeah, I mean, a 43-ball 65 is not a bad place to start. So here's to hoping that he can crack it. Let's move to the West Indies. Now, there hasn't been much to write home about in this ODI series, but they do have one standout performer with the bat, even though they've lost both games. And that guy is uh, Casey Carty. He scored 88 in the first game and 40 in the second. And there was this one six of his that went viral in which, you know, he literally just effortlessly picked up the ball off his legs and deposited it into like Rose Z into the stands. He's been around in the CPL for a while, Jared. I'm sure that you having worked there would have caught a bit of him. Mm. He's also only 26. So, you know, is he someone you think that the West Indies can groom in those limited over squads? Yeah, so my memory, I think he might have been one of the young players that we could get. So the CPL has this thing where you have to get two young players from... Mm. Um, on your onto your squad from the like the, I think it's the under nineteen development squad, uh, and I think he might have been around at that stage. And again, we see a player who is really really talented who just hasn't developed particularly quickly. Um, I think if he was from a major island, he probably would have um, developed quicker. But he's from quickly Google's. Is it Saint Martin? Oh, is it? I want to say. I think he might be the first player from St. Martin to play for the West Indies. If it is St. Martin, it's certainly, I think he's the first player from his island to play cricket. And that's not to say that we if it is St. Martin, let's just go with St. Martin for now. Until. He's the Darren Sammy of his island. 
is he? Yes. So it's a so if you look at Darren Sammy, there was Ga- uh, Gary Matherin and then Johnson Charles. So mm. there was clearly an upswell in talent in St. Lucia at that point. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there was something going on. It's still not the best island to be on as far as cricket because there's not as many coaches and all, you know, you get this with, there's lots of islands that are like this. Um, I think this one's even more less crickety if, if, mm. if it is the one I'm thinking of. Um, not, not to say they don't play there, just less professional crickety, I should say. That's probably why it's taken him this long to develop. My memory was that he was on a lot of CPL squads but never got any games. So I don't think he's played much T20 cricket. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I certainly remember looking at clips of him when I was um, drafting players and, you know, working uh, in the CPL and, and, and all those sorts of jobs. Uh, and he was, he was on my radar. But, again, I think we see another West Indian player who's developed a little bit later. That said, uh, he looks like he can play. Um, and there's something there, but I don't think, you know, I, you know, I don't think he's, um, if you look at his domestic record and you compare that to his, uh, one day international record, I think it's probably fair to say at the moment that he is, um, well above what his overall record should be. Um, so I I don't know. I I worry about his pay, the pace of his scoring, um, Mm long-term, but hey, he's making runs. Take, take him while they're giving him to you, would be yeah. what I would say. Plus, they're not going to be playing the Champions Trophy next year, so they have time to build a squad for the ODI World Cup. I mean, provided they make that tournament, of course, there will be qualifiers and all of that, and the West Indies really, you know, need to pull up their socks in that regard and and at least qualify for that one. And for that, they have these young players who, who could potentially, you know, uh, get that for them. Uh, lastly, on this subject or this series, Australia versus the West Indies, I was surprised to see a certain Roston Jason in the squad. Of course, he was a mainstay in West Indies test team mm. and then got dropped. He is a veteran of 49 test matches. And back in the day, you know, he won some crucial games with the ball. He had this world-class knock versus Pakistan in the fourth innings of the test. The how did he do that test match in which he was, was left stranded when took, Pakistan won their uh, first series in the Caribbean. Took an eight for against England in a test match as well. Yes, which are still, I think, the second best ever figures for the West Indies or something like that. Uh, he did all right in the series, right? Thus far, he got like 59 in the first game, 25 in the second. He wasn't penetrative with the ball, but he wasn't expensive either. <laughs> I don't think he's ever <laughs> been course. penetrative with the ball, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, um, you, just, you just said he took an eight for, but he I hasn't mean, been expensive I, I, at all. It was the least penetrative eight for you have ever seen. <laughs> it was it was the dry humping of eights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to go on socials, isn't it? But um, yeah. look, he's just a professional cricketer. He's mm. thorough, um, looks after his body. He's a good athlete, can bat, can bowl, moves. Well, probably doesn't move around the field as well as he did when he was younger. But you know, could mm. you know back in those days certainly move around um, the field. Tries very hard, does everything that you would like. Just not particular, probably not quite talented enough against in any particular skill to be a frontline player in international cricket, but. Mm. Handy enough in a poorer team to be quite good. My memory of him, well, you know, for the years going back is he was actually a really good player of spin, but he was mm. a epically bad player of, of seam bowling. And that was the thing that really held him back. So I don't, I wouldn't assume he's made, you know, masses of changes um, uh, to his game since the last time I saw him. But he's still, as I said, he, he, he finds a way to stay relevant um, and he keeps popping up and, 
I just I like professional players like him. I think it's yeah. um, it's an admirable talent, you know, just to get the most out of yourself at all times, um, you know, and he certainly has done that. Yeah, I mean, back in 2017, the innings that I was uh, talking about, that fourth innings, 100 uh, versus Pakistan, nearly won West Indies. Or didn't win West Indies that game, they would nearly drew it. It was a career on the rise back then. Since then, it has nosedived. So I was weirdly happy to see him, you know, in the squad. I was like, okay, Roston Chase is still around. Uh, but anyway, let's move to New Zealand versus South Africa so that we can finish up on overthrows and go to Uncovered. Just uh, before first- we go ahead. Yeah. I just looked it up while you were talking. Roston Chase averages 20 against seam bowling in all international cricket. Mm, now, that, that's a worry. Um, yeah, Josh Ford says, loved early Roston Chase, uh, Chase making those rear guard hundreds. That, that, that's what I remember yeah. as well. But it's been a while, hasn't it? So, so good that he got a 59 or whatever in the first game. Anyway, first test between New Zealand and depleted South Africa is underway, underway currently at uh, Mount Manganui. And Rachin Ravindra? Uh, after having a breakthrough ODI World Cup with the bat, has hit a career-best 240 in first-class cricket. Mind you, he has never hit these many runs uh, in his uh, red ball career. And after six failed outings in test cricket, he has gone on and made this score. So does that suggest, Jared, that Rachin is here to stay in the long haul as a batter alone, you know, as, as a primary batter? Yeah, I think once once we saw him in the World Cup, it would be hard to mm. think that he wasn't going to stick around, right? I, and, and, you know, again, <laughs> New Zealand have kind of done everything they can to not ruin him. But, you know, like he played as a bowler, essentially, mm-hmm. in his first couple of tests. I can't remember if he batted at six or seven. Um, I Something know, like I, that. Not at the top I know order. I, yeah, I know I commentated on those, but yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the full, uh, the full amount. And, look, he's an opener um, domestically. He's got a pretty good... <laughs> As far as opening in New Zealand cricket goes, he's got a pretty good record. Like I think he averages just over 40 opening the batting. Uh, but he has struggled a little bit in other positions and he's kind of batted everywhere um, at times. But, it, I, you know, his overall average of 42 in first-class cricket, I think, is more than enough to believe that he's a test-quality player. And the way we saw him play in white ball cricket, you know, I, it would need to be like a Martin Guptill-style technical fault in order to not be successful would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, I had actually heard of Rachin before he made his international debut because I have a bunch of New Zealand accounts that I follow on Twitter and, and I have good, you know, relations with. Uh, they definitely mentioned him a fair few times that this is a kid who's going to come up the ranks and he'll be doing well. And when he eventually got picked for New Zealand, I was like, okay, why does he seem like a Michael Bracewell replacement over here? Which he was. Let's <laughs> he be honest. Was, that's, yeah. what, that's what he was at the start. And from there on, you know, Kane's injury led him to, uh, you know, start up top for New Zealand in the World Cup. And he hasn't looked back since. He's been really, really good. And 240 is quite a score. So, good on him. I hope that Rachin Ravindra is able to, you know, light up games left, right and centre. Uh, did he bag an IPL contract this time? I think he did. He is in the IPL, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, think uh, pretty sure he, he made it to the IPL. So, that'll be uh, a telling sort of uh, juncture at his career. Kane Williamson, of course, is back from injury in his 97th test match. Surprising that he only still has 97, by the way, which is uh, low-key sad. He has now hit his 30th ton in the format. And in the last six tests, I think he has 500s, all the while battering, battling through these different kinds of injuries. And uh, this is what I'm thinking. If I, if I was New Zealand cricket, right? Maybe I would be incentivizing Kane to play test cricket here on, given that he is going to be turning 34 this year. And this is the format that he truly thrives in. Kane Williamson is not a you know, great T20 player, 
so might as well you know have him cash in cash in on tests because he's he's scoring all these hundreds uh, he's destined to enter the 10k club if he just carries on for a bit uh, what do you think i think he makes a lot of money from playing t20 mhm so can they like spare some you've got I to have game play over 100 test matches which he will but i mean he will he will he'll get past 100 money um there's, I don't know. There's not much to say about Kane in this. Like, I mean, we know he's a good player. I, I mean, his big problem is making hundreds against the best teams um, uh, consistently. And you know, he just made a run against. I don't know. What, what would you What would you call this? South Africa E. This is uh, basically the lower tier. There's South Africa. Wait, there's England. There's South Africa. There's the Netherlands, and then there's the whatever team is playing right now. Yeah, it's pretty low. Um, so, uh, you know, he made runs. I, I mean, I would have rested him. For, I would have rested probably a couple of key players for this and just taken the wins. And, and But, yeah. you know, um, I could see why they didn't do that. It's robbing the home fans, isn't it? The home fans are already being ripped off enough. Imagine Kane yeah. not playing. It would be a pain. But, you know, as a selector or director of cricket or analyst, I would have been like, does he have to play? I mean, 30 test 100 is still quite an accomplishment. I mm. hope that he gets to like 35, 36, maybe even 40. I, I mean, he does seem like the sort of guy who won't call it a day as quickly as maybe some other players, right? Because he doesn't play a lot, a lot of cricket all year. New Zealand don't play that much cricket. And uh, yeah, I don't see him start in the IPL. I don't know. I see him benched in the IPL eventually. So let, let's yeah, see. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Final talking point of the overthrows for today. The debutant South African captain, Neil Brand. Of course, how, how frequently do you get to hear that phrase? Debutant XYZ captain, right? In test mm. cricket. He failed with the bat in his first outing as opener. And, you know, with the ball, though, he took six for 119. His maiden innings in test cricket. An all-rounder by trade. Uh, Brand had taken 72 wickets in 51 first-class games. Uh, prior to this test. And uh, he had never taken more than four wickets in an innings and more than six in a game. Here, in his first ever innings in test cricket, he's taken six in one innings. So, uh, literally shattered all expectations and continued that trend of uh, overperforming debutants in test cricket off late. We've had a few, right? Uh, yeah. It's quite incredible. Uh, maybe the long-term Dean Elgar replacement. Who knows? It would be remarkable if that was the case. Look, <laughs> if nothing else... Have they not given themselves a potential top order batter uh, for Asian tours who can mm. bowl some spin, right? Like, they have. And, you know, that that's the best case scenario out of this entire series for them. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he I, I find it hard to take it too seriously. Um, someone had to get the wickets eventually, otherwise New Zealand might have batted for all five days. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, well, is he 27, 28? Yeah, Maybe, yeah, he's not yeah. that old. Yeah. And he actually it's... averages close to 40 in domestic cricket. So he's not a bad option if he can, you know, roll his arm. Like you said. In, That's in what Asian I mean. Conditions. Yeah, I, you know, Michael Bracewell type player perhaps or, um, you know, someone like that gives you a couple of extra overs. Um, it, it's a decent option for them. But, yeah, that, I mean, if this is the highlight, then mm. I hate to see what the lowlights are going to be. Maybe that was yeah. Ratron making the 240. I suppose so. I mean, they are destined to lose this test because they're languishing at 80 for four. Um, we're probably I not think even we've going already to be spent, that and, We've yeah. already spent more time on this test than any it deserves. 
Yeah, basically. And on that note, uh, that'll be the end of this week's Overthrows podcast. So to all of our listeners, thank you for joining in and we'll be back with another episode of Overthrows next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.